Well, Happy New Year to everybody. I know it's a week late for some of you guys, but we were kind of thin last week, so I figure some of you guys didn't get to hear us say that. So, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2023. Really excited to be a part of what we're going to go through this year as we begin our journey again of walking through the Word of God in five years period of time. So, Some of you, that'll be a new journey. You haven't done it yet, and we invite you on this journey. Bring others along. If there's people that are interested in understanding what the Word of God says, this is the time to bring them to a place where they're going to get that foundational understanding. And for those of you who have walked through it, it's a great time for you to invite somebody else so that you can have these conversations with them afterwards. You know why? Because you've, I don't want to say you've heard it all before. You really haven't, but you've walked through it, and you're more familiar with it. With it. And as a result, you have something to share with others who need to know Jesus. And for that, I'm very thankful. Very thankful. So today we are going to begin our five-year study by getting into the book of Genesis. Our readings actually start, one of the things that we're doing as a church is we're reading together six days during the week. And our reading of Genesis actually starts tomorrow. And so we encourage you guys, there are a couple of different ways that you can uh, read. We have some uh, booklets that have our entire year's reading separated out for you, so you can read six days a week with us. We have a little journal that you can take notes on, where you can take daily notes, as well as if you're wanting to take notes during the sermon, if you're like, I want to remember what he said for this book or this verse or whatever, write those things down. Those are for donation. If you want a $10 donation for both of those, or if you just want the reading material, just a $3 donation for the other one. One of the things that you'll see us doing throughout the year is walking you through that reading. You can join us on a YouTube channel where we take about six to 10 minutes to go through that day's reading together and pull a little bit more out of it so that you're not just reading that small section of scripture because some of those sections, especially this week, are really small, but they have greater connection to the larger body of the word of God. And we want to help you make those connections together. So we're excited about that. And you guys can join us on that YouTube channel. You can get to it from by going to heightschristian.org and uh, you can get to our YouTube channel from there. So we just encourage you guys to become a part of walking with us through that. Then what we do after those six days when we've read those scriptures together is our sermons are going to be based upon those scriptures. So that's what we've done these last five years. We've read together and in whole or in part, we've gone through some of the word of God so that we get a better understanding of what the word actually says and how all of the word of God points to Jesus. Okay, so that's where we are. Today we're building that foundation because we're introducing Genesis. But there's really a step that we need to do before we get to introduce Genesis. That's what I'm going to talk to you guys about because I think we have to come to a place where there is this worldly understanding right now that there's a difference between faith and I would say, maybe they would say reality, right? Faith and science, faith and and the things that we can look at. And they believe that faith is this huge chasm to jump between to get to the idea of believing in a God. I have to jump from this huge chasm. Genesis actually is not a huge chasm 
but a small step. And we're going to talk about how we get to that small step first. And then we're going to talk about the introduction of Genesis, what Genesis actually does as it sets up our whole conversation from within the word of God. See, when we look around us and we see things around us, we can get only so far into knowing if there is a God at all. Only so much can we do. From observation and from looking at the evidences of the universe, the evidences of this earth, and the evidences found within ourselves. We can only get so far until we need a little bit of help. And we're going to talk about how far we can get and why that that step is just a small step. And Genesis bridges that gap. So, when we look at the universe, one of the things that we can note is that the universe is made up, scientists in consensus agree with this, made up of three things, space, time, and matter. Everything that we have in the universe and in, in what we're looking at as far as the universe, from the moment of existence, three things came into being, space, time, and matter. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I'm a science buff. How many of you are science buffs? Raise your hand. Okay. There's some of you guys are science buffs. So at the beginning of creation, before all that, we, we have a spaceless, timeless, immaterial place. And then all of a sudden, all of existence comes into being. And it's an interesting prospect when we start thinking about what that means. Back in the 70s, that's where we got the postulation of the Big Bang Theory. And the Big Bang says that there was at one point, if you will, maybe a singularity or something that goes back to the very beginning. And then the universe exploded into existence. And those who had come to that conclusion were not necessarily happy that that was the conclusion that science led to. There's a quote by an astrophysicist. I want to get his name right, Robert Jastro. And, and what he had said back in, the, uh, back in the day when they were taking a look at this idea of this theory of the Big Bang. Robert Jastro, he is not a Christian. He's an agnostic, never was a believer in Christ as far as I'm aware of. And he said, when he wrote this, and it's taken from his book, God and the Astronomers. And it's the one that he's probably most well known for. And it says, at this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountain of ignorance and he's about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, He's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. The implications of there being an origin to the universe is a very disconcerting matter for those who wish there to be no God, no, no presence of something greater than us. And so we are left by looking at the effect of space, time, and matter, and realizing that the effect cannot be its own cause. Therefore, whatever caused this must be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. 
The other thing that we know about that is that whatever created the universe must be immensely powerful. I think that's a, probably a given, right? But beyond that, when we look at other attributes that we can think about, many of us have heard of maybe the watchman's theory where we go and look at a watch and say, if we looked at a watch on a rock, we wouldn't assume that it was just another rock that had been there for millions of years, right? And I would, I would replace the watchman's theory with the uh, smartphone theory, right? If you're walking along a beach and you found a smartphone, you'd be like, wow, after millions and billions of years of processes, look what I found. Does anybody go to the beach to find their smartphones? If you are, I'm probably calling the cops on you. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Nobody goes and finds their new smartphone on a beach. Or go hiking on a trip and say, I'm just, what am I looking for? I'm, I'm, I'm looking for that new Samsung because I've heard it's on a tree. Right? Just want to pick that fruit from that tree and make sure I hope I got a good one, right? It, it sounds ridiculous on the one end. But why, why is it that we recognize on the one end the design behind something like a smartphone, right? Nobody denies that a smartphone is very designed. And it's made intentionally, right? Nobody denies the look of that. And yet, the funny thing is, as complex as that smartphone is, it pales into comparison. The life that we see on earth, even the most simple life that we see on earth. The irony is, we're told that the most advanced creatures on earth are by chance, but we accept in faith, and rightfully so, that something like this is designed by intelligence. The six attributes that we can deduce concerning how we came into being, when we start looking at the factors that come into play, I mean, consider the human body, the base units of pairs that make up the DNA strand. There are over three billion in the human body, three billion. And those who would believe in an evolutionary theory would say, well, you know what? You're somewhere between 95 and 98% the same as chimpanzees. And it's easy to talk about 95 to 98% because it, now it's pretty close. I'm, I'm within 2 to 5% of chimpanzee. That makes it seem pretty possible that maybe we came from one another. Instead, until you start looking at the evidence concerning chimpanzees and humans on a microscopic level. Because... Two to five percent doesn't seem like much when you talk about one individual in, in a percentage amount. If I had a chimpanzee here, some of you might say 99.9% with me, okay? But when you're talking about three billion base pairs that make up the DNA that forms the information that forms you and me, everything about us, our eye color, the hair, how tall we're going to be, or the lack of hair, so, 
the hair, the lack of hair, the, how tall we're going to be, how short we're going to be. All of a sudden, we start realizing something is immensely different about this type of comparison. Three billion pairs, two to five percent, comes to a much larger number. Two percent of three billion pairs is 60 million. Five percent is 150 million. It's 150 million differences at the base level. And that's not even talking about the same length or strand of DNA, how long it has to be for each individual. And somehow we believe that just by random chance, over millions of years period of time, we'll somehow get it right for us. Doesn't seem to make that much sense when we start breaking it down to its base categories the other thing to think about is that's looking at it at a micro view but let's look at it at a macro view let's take a look at the universe around us and the universe around us we have the fine-tuning argument and the idea of the fine-tuning argument is that there are so many different elements that are needed. We have the, the nuclear force. We have the gravitational force. We have the size of the galaxies. We have the, the placement of the earth inside what is called the Goldilocks zone. And all of those things have to be precisely measured on a razor's edge. If you change the, the components of any one of those factors, it's not that you just mess up life on earth. You mess up the possibility of life anywhere in the known universe. And yet, there are those who would proclaim that chance seems to make more sense than intelligence and intentionality. Even atheists go through this, this, if I will call it, what would you call it, Uh, a psychological dodge, if you will, that the, the idea that the universe looks like it is constructed for life. It's a pretty amazing foundation when we start thinking about the elements that are there. Michael Behe, when he uh, uh, did his study on the bacterium flagellum, which goes back down to this micro-evolutionary type of thing. Bacterium flagellum is a little bacterium that has literally a motorboat behind it on its butt. It's like, and it moves itself around. And he coins the phrase, irreducible complexity. And I believe it's in his book, Darwin's Black Box. But this is the idea of that there are components that's needed for that little motorboat. It's it's literally like a little motor inside this small bacterium flagellum that allows it to move around. And in order for that little motorboat to be able to move around, all of these components need to be are needed at the same time in their right arrangement. There's no small process in, in which you're going to get one of these components used for a different way and then repurposed for something else. It doesn't work like that. You need all of these components. I can't remember how many it was, if it was five or six or ten or something like that. But all of these components are needed at the same time, arranged in the exact right way in order for this bacterium flagellum to be able to move 
the way that it was designed. And we can witness that and begin to start thinking about how is this possible? On the macro level, on the micro level, everything seems to look like it's intelligently designed. That the world we live in is designed to be the way that it is. And so six attributes that we can gain and understand through our study of logic and science is that whatever created the universe must be, because it can't be, the, the effect can't be the cause, must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, intelligent, I'm thinking of the last one. I said it just a second ago. I can't think of it. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, spaceless, timeless, intelligent, and intentional. There we go. It was another I. This is what we can know. This is what we can surmise from our study. That begins to look a lot like God, doesn't it? It really does. A spaceless, timeless immaterial being, immensely powerful, intelligent, and intentional. That is obvious that there is a creation that is here that is meant to be here and has a function and a purpose. This is how far we can go before we're getting into what we study in the scriptures that take us that next step. That doesn't seem like a great chasm leap, does it? It doesn't to me. I, I see a being such as that, and I'm like, that sounds so much like God, that when we start talking about Genesis, we need one step here that's unavoidable. We have to have that step. And that step is a personableness, right? The only way we can know that this God exists outside of our surmising is if he has made contact with us. That this deity would go out of his way to make sure that we would know of him beyond these attributes that are self-evident. And Genesis bridges that gap for us. Where do we get Genesis from? And we're not going to be looking at Genesis, we're looking in Exodus. So, turning your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 24. And the reason why this is important is because the first five books of the Bible are known as the Torah. They're known as the Old Testament law. They're the books of Moses that are given. They give the history of the wanderings of Israel. They give the laws of God that the people of Israel were supposed to walk in as being pledged to be his people. This is how you're going to live as a nation. And this is how you're going to live as individuals. And so... God brings forth the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and starts laying that base down. But then he calls Moses back up to the mountain again in Exodus chapter 24. And starting in verse 12, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commands I have written for their instruction. 
Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. And when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. And for six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud, and to the Israelites to, to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And so you hear what God has said, I'm going to give you the law. But not only did he give them the law, he gave them the pre-basis for the law, which is an accurate history beginning back in Genesis. And in Genesis, he goes back to revisit all of creation. How did I create? So this is what beginnings is all about. Genesis is about beginnings. I'm going to tell you how all of this began. And so Genesis brings the people of Israel to the point of Moses' time. And then we read of Exodus, and we read of things that are happening there. But while he's up on the mountain, we see that part of the book of the law is recorded in history in Genesis. And why is that important? So that we get it right. So that we understand from God's perspective how he said he created. You know, as scientists, we love to discover how certain things work, right? That's the whole discovery of science in the first place. He's saying, I want to see how this stuff works so that we might be able to replicate or make this happen again. Boy, it would be really great to talk with the inventor of such and such. I'd love to know their process for making this happen over here. And here's what God does is in the beginning, God shares with Moses what happened in the beginning in his creative process. So that he can know that. And so in Genesis, we see the beginning of a lot of things that are being set up for you and me as believers in Christ to look back on and say, these are the foundations. Because that's what we're building. We're building the foundation. We can know these six things about God, but we need that seventh thing of a personal relationship. And that only happens if God chooses to initiate it because he could choose to stay hidden beyond those self-evident things. But he chose not to. He chose to reveal himself to Moses, and to give an accurate history of how he revealed himself in the past. We can go to different societies and hear interestingly similar stories on things of creation, but we know that they're divergent from one another. They don't have the original material. And so over time, things change. And one society twists things a little bit this way, and another society twists things a little bit that way. So when Moses goes up, he doesn't get it from another society. He gets it from God himself. This is how it happened. This is why you have the echoes of this or, or the seemingly uh, similar accounts in other cultures that may not necessarily have got it right over the years, been corrupted. Now God is here saying, this is how it happened. I'm telling you, as I've told others. And so what do we see in Genesis? Well, what we see in Genesis are beginnings of a number of different things. Number one is the beginning of creation. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As a matter of fact, if we look at Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5, it says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And this is why the astrophysicist who looks back to see what believers have believed for millennia before they'd come postulated this Big Bang Theory is in disarray when he realizes that what they have found scientifically matches up with what we see in the first words of Genesis. That in the beginning there was darkness and God said, let there be light, just like you would expect at a place of Big Bang, right? And there's this huge flash of light at the moment of creation. It's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. The difference between the astrophysicist trying to work his way back and Moses who's on the mountain hearing from God is one of them's talking to the one who did it. The other one's trying to figure it out on his own. And so when we look at the beginning in Genesis, we see the beginnings of the creation of the world. The creation of the universe. We see light and darkness. We see the waters from above called sky and the waters from below separated from one another. We see that God gathers up all the land into one place. We see that he then creates the sun, the moon, the stars. You might think that that's out of order, but it really isn't if you think about it. He creates the sea animals with the flying animals of the air. He creates the land animals. And finally, the crowning glory of his creation is man made in his image. And the thing that we can take from creation is that each of those steps makes sense. They, they're needed for sustainability one from the other. You need light. You need water to sustain plants. And then we separate because we, how many of you have plants in your house? How many of you have plants in room that doesn't necessarily get normal sunlight, but they still thrive? Raise your hand. So we need light. We need water. We don't necessarily need starlight, but God creates the starlight afterwards. And how so? So that sustainability continues on. Then we see the ocean animals with the flying birds. Did you notice that that was after the land was created? Because the birds are going to need the land, right? God knew that. Then we see the land animals, all created after their own kind. And you notice that the land animals are created after the plants are created, so they have something to eat. Everything has an order to it that makes sense. And then finally man, made in God's image. So we see the beginnings of creation. But not only do we see the beginnings of creation, we're going to see the beginnings of not just the individual, but the family. As Adam is created and Eve is created for one another for the purpose of populating the earth to be fruitful and to multiply. 
And so we see the smallest common denominator of society, the family. And we see society grow out of that. And from society growing out of that, we see both the, the understanding of the fall of man and how the division of man into different peoples and nations and states, all of that is explained in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And then from these different peoples and nations and states, God sets aside one person who is going to become a nation of his own for a people of his home so that God can fulfill a promise of his own that he began back into the garden to set right those things that were set wrong. A promise going forward that we begin in the garden of Eden and throughout the book of Genesis we get this progressive revelation of what God has promised us. But it begins here in Genesis. All of these beginnings leading up to the formation of the people of Israel that we will end up seeing traveling down to Egypt, eventually being enslaved and eventually being freed by God in Exodus and times after that as God establishes his lordship over his people so that he can bring his savior not just for his people but for the world. Because God has created us in his image and he wishes to redeem. And we find out as we looked before in First Peter at the end where he says, you know, that Jesus was a lamb chosen from the beginning of creation, from before the creation of the world, that before Genesis 1-1, before any creative property of God came into being, there was already an agreement between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that Jesus would come and die for a people that he would call his own who believe on him. That begins in Genesis. Actually begins before Genesis. And the only way we can find out about any of this plan is if God tells us about it. It's why the Word of God is so important. It's why when we begin this journey, it's not just a matter of us reading some ancient document. It's about reading about a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, intelligent, intentional person who's created all things And has revealed himself to you and me to show his love for us. That you are not an accident. But were created by God. Specifically in the place in which you live. In the times in which you are. Is not an accident by our God. As we read in Acts chapter 17 verses uh, 24 through 28. As Paul talks about to the people of Athens, that God is not very far from us, but he created from one man all men that live. And he created the times in which we might live and be and be placed at. It's not an accident that you're living here at this time. Why? That you might reach out and grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Because the intention of God's communication with us is to remain personal. 
something that we cannot do if he chose to remain hidden. That's why Genesis is so important. It's why the entirety of the word of God is so important. It's why you and I should be in the word to find out who this God is that cares so immensely for us that he would be personal, that he didn't have to, that he could remain all of these things and stay aloof, but he chose not to. And by his grace, he wishes to tell you why you exist, when you exist, what you're made for. Boy, that changes perspective on life, doesn't it? It really does. What a differing vision between that which the Word of God purports to say concerning a God who cares about you and the world which would say you're just random chance evolution. They're two different things. And we, by the grace of God, have before us the testimony of God by his own words. This is how it all began. This is the purpose of all of it. You want to know what ultimate meaning is? You find it in the one who created you. More than just created you, saved you according to his good will by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a God I want to find out about. That's a purpose I want to live for. That's something the world, just looking at what science has to offer, cannot offer us. Because to be personal is to step beyond the scientific. To have a relationship with my wife. I can't prove that by science. You guys realize that, right? But... My relationship with my wife, Shannon, though it can't be proved scientifically, is no less a fact. Do you guys agree with that? If you don't, I'm fighting you after church. It's no less a fact. I have a relationship with my wife. I have a relationship with many of you in this place. But we can't put that in a test tube. And we can't look at that in any way, shape, or form that science would ever say that is a proof. Because it's personal. But that step between knowing that my wife exists and me having a relationship with her isn't a giant chasm that I have to step. It's a simple step that I came up to her one day and said, hey. Right? Would you like to go out on a date with me? Sure. And that elation that I felt in starting to build this relationship with her, I can't prove it scientifically. I can't. But it's no less true. couple of books I, I want you guys, as we're beginning this study right now in Genesis, that I would love for you to just to ponder and consider. There are two really good books. One of them is by Frank Turek. It's called Stealing from God. It's how atheists use God and his attributes to make their case against him. It's an ironic thing. It really is. But it's a great read in understanding how, as believers in Christ... We have a more firm foundation for our belief in God than they do in their atheism. 
Second one is this, one that maybe many of you have already read, but if you've never read it before, I highly recommend it, and it's Mere Christianity. Because where Frank Turek goes where the atheists go, which is oftentimes the scientific reason logical route, Mere Christianity takes the moral route. Takes, takes something that I can't necessarily take scientifically, but I, I take this a logical progression based upon moral truth that C.S. Lewis does a wonderful job of walking through and saying these things point to a God behind all of these things. As we begin our study in Genesis, I want you to know as we're building these foundations, these foundations are secure. They're worthwhile to understand. They're worthwhile for us to know because in knowing them, we actually get to know the God who created these things even better than we do now. I'm excited about that journey. I pray you guys are too. So as we step into Genesis, understand we're not talking about a leap of faith. We're talking about a step of faith that started with a personal God who chose to build a relationship with you and me by telling us how it all began. Would you stand with me? God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to read your word. Thank you for communicating with us. Thank you for not staying aloof and keeping us in the dark, but caring for us so much that not only did you make us in your image, but you revealed to us how you created, why you created, why we're important, and redeemed us and gave us the promise of redemption even before we were created in the first place. God, I thank you so much for that. As we walk into your word, may we find meaning, the meaning that you wish our lives to have. Because that is ultimate reality. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.